that is a prime example of when you are to self-reflect and to go back and figure out like where did they show did this particular person show me signs and i mean it can be anyone y'all we know this now, come on now if y'all want to talk about it, y'all want to start listening to some people that have betrayed you that's fine with me y'all can shut them out I- Hey, what's up? And welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show here live only on BeExposedRadio.com. I'm a little frustrated today because I, this is how I sounded when I was young. I had a horrible list and um, it's coming back. Uh, it's temporary um, and it's really, you know, I'm getting dental work and it's being chopped up from every other week or so. And it's frustrating because this is what I used to hear as a child and um, at many speech classes and um, a frame, that frame that go in your mouth helped to cure it. And now I hear it coming back and I'm getting frustrated. But today it's me, your host Nate on this Monday. Fall is fast approaching. I'm loving it because my BGE bill will look a lot better. Um, and just coming off a really, really long weekend, just working and work in this pandemic has turned into like a chore for me because everything I'm having to work remotely and I like being in people's space, uh, when I'm working with them and it's kind of hard to do everything like this. Um, and I'm really excited because things are, I'm, I'm, I'm getting through things. I'm getting things done but it feels like we're still waiting to actually do things. So um, just coming off a great weekend, a really nice time watching the versus battle. I'm loving how they're making it so diverse. Um, We had Patty and Gladys, despite their sound issues, um, it was really, um, it was a good show. I love to see the people together. What I don't like is just the chatter that comes behind it. Everything has to be, criticize and you know the scrutiny is just too much for me it really is it's too much and it's just it's getting to a point where we only do that people that look like us african-americans black negroes whatever you want to call yourself it's it's only the stuff that we produce now if you think about it and you use your logic patty and gladys are two different women uh, from the same time period they both started years and years ago have been in this game for 50 plus years, both of them. They're both in their mid to late 70s and uh, Miss Dion Warwick, and they are used to performing. So being somewhere, and they're not lip singing artists, so being somewhere, hearing your music there, I think their impetus was, I need to perform. This is performance for me. But this platform was made to be a listening party, not a concert series. And I think uh, many people are having a hard time with that. Uh, and and this that's just, you know, despite the thing, anything that's done live and done digitally um, with internet, it's, it's bound, something bound to happen. And I think despite that, we had, we got to listen to some really good music um, and watch them in their friendship unfold right before us. But um, that's what it is. And today I have a guest on, uh, and I just finished working with this gentleman, so I'm really just really meeting him and watching him work and his process as a performer was uh, great. I love to watch other actors uh, perform 
and and really um, demonstrate their abilities. Uh, Devin is a visual artist. He is a part of um, he is a part of the Baltimore art scene, and I, I wanted to bring him on here just to talk about his experiences, his life, uh, his art, his work, and what's to come for him. Today's topic is staying true to the creative process. Um, and often, especially in moments like this where we're fighting, it's been really hard for us to stay true to the process. An artist creates, an artist performs, an artist, you know, uh, inspires. So many of us forgot that that's what the job is. The job isn't necessarily the actual performance, the actual, you know, concert, the actual, you know, piece of art. It is really the process. And now we're having to figure out ways to display and perform and create for the for the audience, the watching public, to be able to. Uh, take part in it. And I think that's the challenge, but the process hasn't changed. Creating is creating. Um, and I wanted to bring Dayron on here and, and talk about his process and just who he is and, and all those things. So welcome, Mr. Davon. He's getting it all um, together. What's going on, Dave? How, How you are doing, you? Sir? I'm Great. good. Thanks for having me. So I, can, I tried to give you a bit of an introduction, but can you Tell us who you are, you know, as in terms of being an artist, a dad, a, 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 a performing artist now. Okay. Uh, my name is Devon Carey. I grew up in Baltimore City. And um, I'm an artist. I've been an artist my whole life. And I've always been looking for different ways to uh, just open up the, the artist tree for, uh, you know, many branches yeah. to the tree. And that's how I became... Um, in touch with you for the real nigga show that I just did with Troy Burton, mm -hmm. which was a blast, very fun every time we do it. But I'm a painter, and I've been working on on a painting right now as as we speak, and do a lot of portraits. Oh, it's kind of blurry. So this is how I met Davon. Uh, his work was out in the gallery area. Um, when they did the, the Real Nigga Show the last time, and that's how I was first introduced to him. Um, and as a visual artist, a moment like this is the best of times, the worst of times, because you have so much time now to dedicate to uh, creating, but at the same time, you have to find new avenues to be able to sell your work, display your work, show your work off. Um, how have you been... I mean, despite you working on us, working on that Real Nigga show for the last three months or so, how has it been for you as a visual artist? I thought it was going to be like a downslide, but it actually um, was pretty good. Like a lot of people was inquiring, which meant a lot more people was buying. And, mm. uh, <laughs> and it just worked out. I guess people had extra money or extra time to just appreciate something new. Because a lot of the art supplies were gone in the store. Every, right. every store I went to, the, the art supplies were gone. The athletic things were gone. Like people was in the house doing things that they didn't have the, the time to do. So I guess they, uh, you know, was looking into art. I saw a lot of artists really investing in materials this time. Whereas though we normally bought things as projects came up or as we needed them. 
because mm-hmm. I do the jewelry side of designing, and that was the same thing. You would go to the stores like Michaels and things where the shelves were empty, and you're like, empty. Who the hell for weeks, buying right <laughs> like this, and who's buying paint like this? But mm-hmm. like you said, you know, aside from artists, but children had to find creative ways. Parents had to find creative ways to help their children get through this as well. But it really was a struggle because we we were forced to order a lot of stuff online. Exactly, and I never ordered canvas online. Yeah, but it was you know it was fun you know it came it was cheaper actually uh, it right, came quicker than I thought yeah ordered both yeah but, so growing up in Baltimore um tell me about your life growing up in Baltimore and and how were you introduced to art well I remember uh, always doing art since like kindergarten and stuff mm-hmm. but when my mom bought me that kit that has like a hundred pieces in it crayons pastels. Watercolor, that little kit, because she saw that I was, you know, loving art. When she bought that, I really think that's where it all really began. Because I, you know, just had crayons. So just mm. mixed media, mixing everything together as a child and being free with it. You know, a lot of us are artists. As we get older, we just forget or just think it's stupid or think it's ugly or get discouraged by other people who, who are also doing art. Like, no, I can't do it or I ain't gonna make no money. I just stuck to it because it's like you said in the beginning before you introduced me, you know, it's um, where it all began, like being inspired and uh, just wanting to be an artist. The real reason for why you're doing it, you know, what I mean, I stuck to that. So, Did you know this is what you wanted to do in terms of a career path or was it just something you knew you were good at and you just kept on it? It's definitely something that I uh, just knew I was good at. I didn't think it would be my career path. I used to always say I would be an architect. Well, I'll be the first black president. You know, I would say things like that. Um, but people always constantly wanted me to do art. I did backdrops for plays, for fashion shows. You know, anything, anytime people thought of art, they would think of me. And they would ask me, can I do it? Like, can you paint my my, uh, my jersey? Can you paint my helmet? You, know, you ever mm-hmm. tie-dye shirts before? You ever, uh, you know, body painted? Most of the time, it's just, you have a face painted? Can you face paint for a party? And then I started doing that. Every summer, it'd be 15 parties or, you know, when people pass away. I do a lot of portraits and <clears throat> word of mouth is just one of the biggest, biggest ones. So it just really just keeps going and going. I had no choice but to make it my career and I love to do it. And some artists don't find that until much later, but you were really given a gift to be able to try out and explore and, and just venture into the arts in different capacities. Most people find those venues or those outlets after they've tried it and studied it mm-hmm. for years and years, and then they fall yeah. back and you know they stumble yeah. upon those things. So it was. I'm quite sure it. Looking back at it now, it, it was definitely a blessing for people to be able to trust you in that way, or oh, yeah. you know, look to you in that way. Blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Who were? Did you have any mentors? As you begin to explore it more, or um, no, I haven't. Uh, my peers, you know, and sometimes even social media felt like a mentor. You know, just learning, seeing what other people were doing, and wanting to try it out, and just learning different techniques. But other than that, I always felt like a lone wolf with the art, like just really out here, just doing it. You know what I'm saying? Running across who I, who I meet, <clears throat> embracing them and learning from them. 
but never really a mentor that was just on me, helping me out. Right. If you could look at any artist out there, whether they be famous, commercial, or anybody out there that you would want to maybe collab with or um, work with, or you see some of your style and their style? Mm. Um. See, I'm not really, really good with names. But it is one person you probably wouldn't expect. Chris Brown, like he, he's a, a graffiti painter. He loves okay. to paint. But okay. you know, singing, singing and dancing became you know really big for him. But he always does art, and he's even had shows. I was like, wow, mm. it'd be dope to work with him. Like, you know, just to you know see what, what you know because the the kind of painting he does is different from what wow. I do, and I always love the opposites. Um, what is your what is your medium? Uh, mostly, I work with acrylic. Okay. But right here, if you if you know the excuse me, Shy, these are bottle tops. These are all bottle tops. Well, that's what's up. And all different kind of caps. So do you and in terms of you using different materials, is it just I wonder what this would look like? Or do you mm -hmm. see something similar and be like, let me let me see if that can translate through what my artistry? Hmm. Uh it's just just wanting to be creative. It's always been a creative thing. I, you know, when you're drawing in the sand or drawing with a stick in the dirt, that's just another, you know, you nobody said, like, let me just try to, you know what I mean? It's just what mm -hmm. your brain was doing for real. When you start stacking rocks on top of each other, that's art as well. And you know what I mean? You're not, people don't look at things like that as art. Mm -hmm. As soon as you create something with something else and somebody else looks at it and get inspired, and hey, that was art. Well, how do you get into your zone or is there a process in terms of when you sit down and create or is it just it comes when it comes? Uh, it comes when it comes. Mostly. Uh, it's just uh, something that I really love to do, you know, what I mean, so it's, I can get into the zone and, it, you know, I really paint from an emotional standpoint, you know, just being happy, you know, like like people write when they're sad or. Uh, heartbroken or write the best love songs when they going through trauma. Mm. You know, I don't really got to do all that sometimes. It, it could just come from any day, anyhow. That's why That's I want to have a show. It's so mm -hmm. many different styles in the room and people like, did you do all these pieces of art? Like, yeah. Like they, mm. some, some of them look like this person did or somebody did this a long time ago. Like, yeah. Do you have a need to be a commercial artist or do you like your your lane as it is do you like the underground or the you know the i love uh i love where i am but it's also um i love where i'm going you know what i mean it's, mm -hmm. you know wherever it take me is where where i'm willing to go if, it, if that when, means being a commercial artist then mm -hmm. so big what where if you had to define your art and say four words how, how would you define it um, that's a good one. Uh, my lane of art, right? Like, this art ain't free. This art ain't free. This art ain't free. Is that, does that tie to your, the support that you get or just what you've experienced in trying to be the business of an artist? Uh, definitely. Because, you know, I wrote a poem called This Art Ain't Free and I made a video and it's on my mm -hmm. Facebook. 
and it really explains how I feel about the art. Like I didn't, it's a line in the play and in, in the poem that says, I didn't paint it for money, but hell no, this art ain't free. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I went through something creating us. You know, I, of course I bought the supplies, but of course the time, the effort, whatever emotions I was going through, I had to create that. And that costs, you know what I'm saying? You know, and uh, people just want it for free sometimes. Mm. Like want me to just give it to them for nothing. It's like, I don't get nothing in return. How do you, you handle the business of it though? Uh, just being stern and being willing to accept the fact that everybody don't have a $10,000 to give you for a painting. Like, and people mm. want art. You know what I mean? People want art. And who am I to deprive them of it? Like, I want to give everybody a piece of art. But I also want some, you know, to have some some means to keep doing it and to feed my family. So, mm. you know what I mean? I've sold a lot of portraits in Baltimore. So a lot of different walks of life. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I feel happy about it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't feel like, oh, I'm out here trying to get money. I feel like I'm out here really... People know me for doing art and know me for uh, smiling when they get my art. Mm. How do you determine your value? Um, that happened over over time as well. Just uh, I've had people that what you would call a mentor. Like I've had a teacher tell me, like um, they might need to charge more for this because I was charging sixty dollars per portrait at a time. They would look as good as they look today as, as I do. And she said, like, you're killing yourself for $60. And I was like, I'm not killing myself. But I took heed to that. And she planted that seed. It really grew. And, um, you know, like I said, you got to be stern sometimes. You got to just stick to what you know. Like, don't bend just because somebody say, well, hey, that, your price is too high. Well, it's just not mm-hmm. for you then. Like, I mean, a lot of people would give, give a masterpiece away for $150 just because somebody mm-hmm. told them, Something that hurt their feelings, maybe. How have you how have you learned how to set your boundaries and, and set your, your price? How like what goes into you setting your price? Um how much time you spent on a piece? Mm-hmm. Uh how much you feel that you will let it go for. Like even if it's ridiculous, you could write it down and always come back and look at it. And you know, somebody could even inspire you to want to sell it to them like it's like i i know they need this you know just the way that we connect it and it's like what do you have maybe it's a payment plan we could work out or maybe you know i've been growing up i was big on the bar system as well before you know i had a lot of bills to pay Mm -hmm. you know trading things you know things that have things that i could use um that would make my life better and my you know children's life better but uh like i said it wasn't always about just money but it definitely was about feeling that it was equally like I didn't get got over, and that right. I'm not trying to get over anybody. And and you and you now creating a lane for yourself in terms of in this Baltimore arts community, and that's not limiting you, but uh, you're definitely a part of the art community here. How are you? Um, how are you carving out your niche and your space? In this community, the the one thing I thought of when you said that is really staying true to who you are. Like a lot of people, I haven't seen it for myself, but I've heard stories of it. Can get lost in just maybe what we call fame or 
internet fame fame or people just know you for a particular thing so they expect you to keep doing it mm-hmm. and it's like nah i'm i'm evolving like you know the people who gonna rock with me gonna rock with me and um you know, i'm not looking for clout and stuff you know what i'm saying mm. like if, if, if people want to be part of how do i become part of the Baltimore art community they like how do i even meet people how do i get involved just keep being true to what you're doing you know like mm-hmm. i didn't ask that question but that don't make it not a valid question it's just i, I was true to what i was doing and i think some people involved. feel like you have to uh make a certain amount of money or have a certain um popularity and you mm-hmm. just being an artist in this community makes you a part of that community exactly and i remember as a performing artist trying to perform at every theater and and, and go to every audition whether i got them or not and and thinking that was going to make me a part of the community because i mm-hmm. worked on all the stages and at some point like i was tired and i was like i just want to perform i'm not trying to be the every man to everything Exactly. Uh, in terms of the arts, I just want to be, I want to perform as I perform. So you you can catch me doing stage crew or selling tickets or acting on stage. Like, it didn't matter. I wanted to be involved in the art. So it That's didn't, right. you know, I, I wasn't trying to be the next best anything. I know my level of talent and I know mm-hmm. what I bring to the table and I don't have to make a big show out of it. I love exactly. those artists like a Don Cheeto or Angela Bassett, who you know and who you respect, but you don't, you ain't gotta always every week hear about them. They gotta make a spectacle of themselves to to get more attention. Um, In terms of how social media has helped you to develop the business of what you're doing, how have you been using social media um, to kind of push your message and push your your business? Uh, Just being consistent with posting things, because people are always watching. And since they're in the house more, we're, we're in the house more, they were watching even more. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you post just one thing a day, that's better than posting nothing. You know, staying mm-hmm. in their mind, but not overdoing it. If you want to overdo it some days, you can. I've seen people do it and it work out. Right. But, uh, you know, just staying consistent with posting on social media will definitely keep you in their hearts and minds, especially if you're posting good content or inspiring words. Mm-hmm. pushing your brand, you know what I'm saying, in a positive way. I'm How much of you is in your art? Like, in terms of your, I got to see a little bit of your personality and working with you, but in terms of who you are as Davon Carey, and it's like, it's the whole of it. How mm-hmm. much of that goes into your work? So much of it. Like, I put it all, I leave it all on the table. Like, that's why I, I won't give nobody just no halfway done job, even though people say, hey, it looks like it's done. I could have gave it to them like this, but nah, it has to be to my liking. It has to be when I see it sometime from now that I'm very proud of it the same way as when I gave it to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Right. Because that's when you put your all into it. You put the love into it. You know it. You know, you know, some good food. You know, when they put the love into it, you know, when somebody rushed and just threw some shit together. Right. Right. that's how I look at it. You know, we cooking up. So being in, like, you're right now, you're standing in front of your work. Um, how do you know when it's finished? Mm. It's when I could look at it the next day and don't touch it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, when I could look at it 
and don't feel like, oh, I need to work. I need to add a few more layers to something. You know what I'm saying? You know, art is never done, but at some time you can overdo a portrait, I believe, and my for my liking, for my particular style. Mm-hmm. I don't want to overdo it. I want to think that was it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, Does that make it hard for the business side of being an artist? Because you, what? the process isn't necessarily, I'm going to be, I'm going to start this day and I'm going to finish this day. Does that make um, it hard to sell? For some businesses, for some people, like like around Christmas time, when a lot of mm-hmm. people are rushing and then they just jammed, I get like 12 orders in a week and they want it all by Christmas. No, that's when it could get hard. But uh, I've never missed a deadline. That's my. That's one of my phrases that I've had all my whole life. I've never missed a okay. deadline for a portrait, for any piece of art. You know what I'm saying? Like backdrops, artists, I mean, portraits, parties. I've never been late, never missed a deadline, and I always got it there on time. And I never had nobody say the same Nick and gave it back. Never, ever. As in, in certain... Uh, Painting for me is so personal that I've never even tried to sell anything. I've never mm. even wanted, even if somebody sees it by happenstance, or if mm. I just post it just to show off something I did, it's hard for me to get rid of that because I feel like every every painting, every image that I create in that way, it's hard. It's really, it's hard to um, let go of something that I, because everything is intentional for me mm-hmm. in terms of my artwork. How do you prevent yourself from the work that you create on your own versus something that you're commissioned to do? How do you get rid of the work or sell the work that you've created on your own? I can count on both hands how many um, pieces I've done just on my own that I've sold versus mm-hmm. commission pieces. Because okay. I, it's hard to it's hard to let go of the ones I've done just on my own. I, I have them still stacked up at my mom's house. And a whole pile oh. of them in my house. Yes, that's how you do your art shows. You know, I have pieces that's aging over time that people okay. will remember. And um, I've let go prints of them. I sold prints, but as far as portraits, mm-hmm. you know, I've gotten attached to a few, but I know that they were commissioned and they go, they come and go, come and go, and I just take a picture of them to remember. But um, as far as uh, self pieces I've done on my own, it's definitely, definitely hard to let go of the smallest piece. Mm-hmm. Even things like this, like people wanted to, to buy these from me, like just the palette that I've used. Like, wow. I'd be like, why, why you really want to buy that? Like, no, nah, let me keep it. Uh-uh. I'm going to have to keep that. <laughs> in, in terms of, um, so I, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I witnessed from you doing a real nigga show, but uh, I'm going to pull a piece of that and, and connect it to your artwork. Uh, I watched you create a piece based on your own personal experience Um, in terms of, say, your gallery work, the stuff that you display and when you do shows. How uh, open are you with your translations or your works? I love to talk about it, but I love to hear other people talk what they see more. That's why I don't title a lot of my art. Because if you put a title on it, they see it and say, oh, that's what it meant. I thought this was that. And it discourages them from what they initially thought. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But if you ask me a question about a piece, you really want to know, like, what was you thinking? Like, how did you, you know, how did you come up with this? 
I would definitely tell you, you know, open book about that. How did, I mean, because I, I, I love going to any museum and art shows because I think art is very personal and even the intentions that a, a artist puts on his work can sometimes translate totally different when a person comes in there, when they feel in a certain way, if they got certain things on their mind, they're going to see that piece totally different. Um, how often do you make yourself available to even eavesdrop and hear what people are thinking about your work? It hasn't happened often, but I remember doing a show for uh, Aaron Maven. He's an artist also in Baltimore, really good. Um, he did a show. He invited me to hang uh, about 20 pieces in a room just for myself. And I hung them in the room and I waited. And as the night went on, people would come to the room and just look at the art. And they would talk to me about it because I was in there. But I never uh, would say, you know, I'm the artist. And they like, who's the artist? I'd be like, who's the artist? Devon, uh, Devin Carey. Wow, this is really good. And then to the final <laughs> final end, I just told them like, I'm I'm Devon Carey. And say, No, you're not. And I was like, Yeah, I'm that's, that's me. You know, I did the art. Like, wow, you know, but to hear them talk about it definitely was refreshing. You know, and it was like, you know, I don't really had too many words, but I just really felt good listening to people's honest opinion about it with the unbiased, you know, part about it. Mm -hmm. They didn't know who they didn't know who I was. So it felt really good. I've, I've this this whole process of doing this show in the last seven years, it's been interesting because I've only had a handful of visual artists on. And visual artists work a lot different uh, than any other uh, form of artist. Um, and one of the things that I'm always amazed at is how you all incorporate just everything that you walk uh, walk by everything that's in your past and in, in terms of life and your journey, and it sometimes seeps into your work. And often, mm -hmm. like for me, it's whatever is put in front of me. But how being in Baltimore or even being able to travel outside of Baltimore, how do you translate what you're feeling, like a Freddie Gray riot or uh, a Black Lives Matter or Trump, or how does those things incorporate themselves into your? your process or your outcome? Um, sometimes you can see another piece of art and be inspired. Sometimes you can hear uh, mm -hmm. people talk and they might say something and you're like, wow, that'd be a dope painting. If I just, you know, exactly what you said. Like when people say couch potato, if you paint a couch, I mean a potato on a couch, it's funny. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. it just, and it just, you know, it's, you know what it is. So sometimes it could be a lyric from songs, but from the Freddie Gray riot, uh, I remember Devin Allen, he took the Time Magazine photo of the guys running with the police mm -hmm. chasing them, and I painted that, we right. created that. Uh, so sometimes it's just from a photo, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. but, um, so it could be that literal for you. Exactly, that literal. How other artists that I've met, they kind of leave like a hidden, what they call an Easter egg in all their work. So is this something that is almost like a thread throughout everything that you create that kind of stamps yeah. it as, you know, Davon Carey's work? There's a spaceship in a lot of my work. Like, a, you know, it's either in the sky or at the bottom, but it's always a spaceship in most of my work. Yeah. Like a UFO. Do you mind saying what that, that means? Well, 
it's like out of this world, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, we, it's just the feeling you can get is out of this world. You know, I'm dramatic, mm. so. Just a little bit, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe a lot. <laughs> <laughs> is it, was that something purposely you, you created or did it just come to you and? It just started, um. I don't know. I just started doing. I can't remember the very. I can't remember the first piece I did, but I know when I did it. I said I'm about to put this on every piece of art I do. And I remember I didn't do it, and somebody said you didn't put a spaceship on mine. I was like, dang, it became a thing. That's the icon mm-hmm. on my Instagram for the last four years. I never changed. Right, it. right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of being a Baltimorean, how much of Baltimore is in your work? Even when you commit a commission to do things. How much of that Baltimore experience is in your work? I feel like I feel like I've been asked that question probably just three times in my life, and it always still feel the same way because I, you know, I'm Baltimore. It took me a long time to even get on a plane, not because I was scared, just because I didn't take the opportunities that I maybe should have mm-hmm. when I, you know, when I could have. But then, you know, started traveling a little bit, started seeing more. And I had to realize, like, wow, I am Baltimore. Like, when I'm in New York, you know, I'm Baltimore. When I'm anywhere else, I'm Baltimore. My art speaks for itself, but that name at the bottom, Davon Curry, he originates mm-hmm. from Baltimore. So this is this is Baltimore. When people say Baltimore art, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to hear my name sometimes. And I feel like, wow, like, that's history. Some people shy away from that. It's only, I, I've honestly, a very few artists that I know outside of painting something of Baltimore really try to hold that stamp. You know, mm-hmm. they'll say I'm from Maryland or DMV or the East Coast, but they rarely hone in on their community. I think there's been an explosion of artists that have begun to create based on what has been happening. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's very much so their style is Baltimore. But when you say I'm a Baltimore artist, what does that mean to you? It means that uh, we come from a place where it's not really recognized. You know what I mean? It's like you say, underground. Like it's the under, it's under the underground. You know what I'm right. saying? Like the people who who uh, who are screaming it loud, only a few few people hearing it. Like you said, people mm-hmm. say Maryland or DMV. You know, that's louder than. The, the, the small screams from Baltimore, but you know we screaming loud too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Somebody hear us, and they're gonna keep hearing us. The next generation gonna scream even louder. And, uh, that's just how I go. So that 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 so moving a little bit beyond that, calling yourself a black artist mm-hmm. is that something that you do? Because some people are like I'm an artist. I don't want to be a black artist or. Uh, whatever your titles are, I want to just be labeled as an artist. Is that something that is important to you to signify, or is it? I think it's very important to signify, but I I've never uh, wrote that. I always definitely said I'm an artist. When people say black artist, I do feel a sense of pr- proudness. But you know, I definitely always say I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, when people introduce me, he's a black artist. I don't be like. You know, it don't, it don't feel cringy or nothing. No, nah, mm-hmm. so whatever whatever you want to introduce me as, you're going to say he's a crazy artist. <laughs> you know, I'd take that charge as well. But when, you know, Are I don't, you, you know. Is it more important to you now as you're 
getting older to be labeled as a black artist than it was maybe when you were younger and creating? Did you see the, um, the change in how you feel about it? Um, I feel as though it, whoever, I, for me, is it important? It's always been, has its levels of importance. But I don't, if it's important to the majority and they feel good from saying it, then I applaud that. Like, I don't want to, uh, you know what I mean? If, if, if you told me to introduce myself, what I write, you know, I'm a black artist. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. I'm a black artist from Baltimore. You just participated in painting a Black Lives mural down at the um, Black Lives Matter mural down at City Hall. How important was that for you to be a part of? Well, that was very important. That uh, you know, I was that was I was very happy that they included me. Um, Joe Jackie, he uh, he commissioned me and like four other artists, and we got a lot of volunteers to come out. And I was surprised at the turnout, even though a lot of cities have done it. You know, Baltimore is just known for not sticking together sometimes. So when they all came out and it was happy. And it all worked out and we got it done. It was a very um, humble feeling. And mm-hmm. I felt really good and blessed to be part of that. Especially to get it done so quick. We only had to commit for one day. One day. How one many day. How many artists were part of that? It was a one. It was four of us. It was okay. five of us. Five of us. And it was like 50 volunteers. Wow. How do you, how do you network within your the visual artist field? Or have you begun to do that? Um, we network because we network throughout throughout events. Mm-hmm. We um a lot of events get thrown and they include a lot of artists. And so it's a correlation, it's become a pattern, you know, to see the same f- faces and we've made a family and we've um done a lot of pieces together, collaborative pieces. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, some people have bumped heads and got back cool again and some people have just created art together and made money together so it's just like any other family is that because visual artists tend to create in their own bubble and so branching out could sometimes be a little bit difficult because you have different styles or different perspectives yeah definitely because you know like you i guess you had to do business together a lot of people don't do good business together sometimes. You want to just create, you want to create and just, you know, be inspired by other people's work. You know what I mean, mm. that's, that's kind of what it is. So, so moving to moving more now, uh, you've been a performance artist for a number of years now. Um, mm. Most notable is your connection to a real nigga show. Um, I'm really, uh, it, most of the guys there, I've either worked with them or I've been able to follow their career. And you were the, the one that I didn't know what you were going to be outside of what mm. I saw as an audience member these last few years. Mm. Uh, but what did that, how has that experience kind of stretched you more in terms of being an artist? Not just a visual artist, but just an artist in general. Um. It's because a lot of the a lot of different arts are one and the same. The way you attack, the way you prepare for stuff, the way you finish things, you know, mm-hmm. the way you pronunciate words for a play, 
the same way you can use stroke on a on a painting. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the way you uh mellow things out for the mm-hmm. audience, the same way you could use for the color scheme for your art. It's just mm-hmm. it's all one in the same. So I just found the connection. You know what I'm saying? Because everything I- is connected. I got an opportunity to interview uh, Robert and Troy together for a real nigga show, and he, we kind of, kind of stumbled on a process of quilting, and uh, he was saying that's how he described working on this show as like this big quilt, but from different spaces put together and made this whole unit. How or have you, not how, have you created any works that was inspired by your contribution or your participation in A Real Nigga Show? Um, I feel like ever since I've done The Real Nigga Show, it's been a part of any piece I've done after. Like just because, the, like we said, the way we think about, like when I did The Real Nigga Show, I learned how to, how to attack the stage different than I've done before, just listening to different actors who had more experience. So that made me attack the art differently. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's how I incorporated it into the art. There's no, you know, I don't have a painting. I just say real nigga show on it or a painting. Mm-hmm. I got a whole bunch of niggas. <laughs> but I do got, <laughs> I do have paintings that have that, that mentality all throughout it. You know what I'm saying? Is there, is there one piece of yours, and I know it's hard uh, to kind of choose one, or you can, your top three, but what is, what are those, I'll say top three pieces that have the deepest connection to who you are and your experiences, and that you find yourself, you know, thinking about or remembering the most? Which one of your pieces can you kind of hone in on or? That has, you said it has something to do with the real nigga show or just period about my life? I can show you. I can show you one. This painting right here. It's called the kitchen. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. blurry or clear or not, but it's a picture of me standing in the kitchen, while my daughter is writing on the wall, with a messy house supposedly. <laughs> um, that painting right there is one of my favorite. Uh, it's another one. That's called stressed out. It's a picture mm-hmm. of a face being pulled in any and every direction, and that's how I used to feel. Just people pulling me this way, people pulling me that way. People even trying to pull my tongue, my my speech, you know, pulling my eye, want me to look at them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and a third, it's a piece that's just I just threw paint all on the canvas, jumping, flipping, throwing paint, you know, using other parts other than my, my hands, like my feet, you know, my hair. You know, I love that piece because it was just so wild and so um, <laughs> exhilarating to do. That kitchen painting is just a sto- one, was a story of my life. I'm a single father. And um, mm-hmm. I was just trying to raise my daughter in my mom's house at the time <laughs> was was a different, a different time in my life. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. How much, how much has art been therapy for you? Uh, hundred percent therapeutic. 
it's uh you know if i remember doing it as a child i get that same nostalgic feeling when i tap into it as an adult like just remembering you know the reason why i'm doing it the love i had for it and uh you know the patience it takes which makes you slow everything else down you know you get mm-hmm. to really think think about what you're doing and think about something else maybe and uh, by the time you're done painting you know a couple hours pass or even an hour even 30 minutes and you feel better you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? like whatever you were stressing about it subsided for a while the the piece that you were just talking about that seems really physical and mm-hmm. we don't normally look at visual art outside of your hand strokes as something physical um, in terms of your involvement and in creating it, um, how often do you create in that way? That kind of that's that feels like almost a release of energy. How oh, yeah. how, do, how often do you create create in that way? Whether you use your body as well. The- I definitely touch. Well, my hands are clean now, but when I'm done the painting, my whole hand has got different colors all on it. I'm mm-hmm. touching it, you know, you know, different. A, a brush can't do the same thing your finger do sometimes. So part parts of me is all in the pan, just you know, rubbing it, touching it. Sometimes I just do it with my whole hand, and not the whole pan, but maybe a certain part that needs color, just to touch it and feel that feel that rush. It's like you know, it's you're gonna get messy to wash it off. But uh, mm. I love I love to be part of it. You know what I'm saying? I love, that's that's why people love to get body painted. You know, besides the look. It's also just a uh, you know, exhilarating feeling. When so discuss the process of doing body art. Some most most people see it as erotic, or you know, mm-hmm. it it is it, always seen as that. But describe your process when you're doing body painting. Yeah, I have a painting. I have two paintings. It's a painting of me painting uh like twelve different girls and. Of course, it's like erotic painting. And it said, this is how people think body painting is. And I have another painting of me doing it fully clothed. You know, she has a towel on her upper body while I'm painting her lower body. And this is how it really is. Because most of the time, it really is just that. You know, until you're fully painted and you look like you're clothed, they don't really just throwing themselves out there. You know what I mean? It's really like painting on a canvas or painting on a, a, a wall or painting anything else. You want to do it correctly you want to do it right it's a human being so you want to you know have respect for them you know what i'm saying sometimes it's a conversation and sometimes mostly it's a room full of people so as far as body painting i had the same focus on that as i do on a canvas and when it's done it's just on a body and it's moving and it is sexy but it's a beautiful piece of art do you like that? I mean, because of course you can capture that in, in photography and as you've done uh, painting, but do you like the idea of it being something that's temporary and, and just in the moment? Or is it... Only if it, if it gets photographed. Like when people commission me to do body painting, I definitely ask them, is it being photographed? Because, you know, sometimes you could spend five hours doing an intricate design you know what I mean? And if it's just not being photographed, we just just going to have it just for that day or whoever see it, maybe. At least take a picture with your iPhone. Come on, take something so we can, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, post it. You know what I mean? Oh, you, yeah. So you like to capture it? 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, you know. So, so kind of transitioning into the real nigga show. Um, my experience in this time outside of I've always ever been only ever ever been an audience member. And watching you all, and especially the other guys, because I've kind of known them for, for longer, watching them grow in terms of when they said it when they were 20-something versus now being 30-something, almost 40, mm-hmm. hearing them speak on things was, it was, it helped me to recognize my growth, but I, and I, I'm not going to go into it unless you feel comfortable, but we had a moment in uh, rehearsal when something that you said or created back then sounded so much different now. How did what was that process like? Because that's that's along the lines of visual art, but it really is now you embodying your work now. It's not just mm. you can separate yourself from a painting, but you actually had to speak those words. Mm. Yeah. It- I get, you know, even talking about it now, it's just, I'm remembering the moment in rehearsal and like, mm-hmm. just because, you know, it's, when you write in a journal, you're just releasing them feelings of the moment that you're in. And when you go back years from time and you read it, you're like, wow, like, you know, I was a sad child or if it was a happy moment, I was very happy at this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that moment, it was just the the utter truth you know I'm. Uh, it was just the truth of what was happening and it had something to do with my daughter's mom and and her i you know my daughter never met her mom so mm-hmm. i was writing about that experience so going you know reading it again my daughter's 12 now at the time she was six mm-hmm. it was a different it was just a different experience like the conversations me and my daughter has had now were different th- from then so reading the words that I wrote, I just remembered how I felt and how far we've came from since then. And I was like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, it touched me. So being, when when it first came out and you writing it, opposed to now, because for you to still have the same level of emotion, and it felt like it was more emotion than you probably had it being in a moment. Where were you in that moment as an artist? Like, because being an in artist is a lot of decisions. Where were mm-hmm. you as an artist? In today's time? Mm-hmm. Right there in it. Like that rehearsal, um, that specific like, rehearsal we're talking about. Where was I as an artist? Uh, you know, I, I realized that, that th- this moment was real. You know, I realized it was real. As, as in terms like, because I saw it happen with Easy and, and Robert, you know, they mm-hmm. was, re- was realizing something that they wrote 10 years ago. Like, wow, like, we came a long way. You know what I mean? So it was like, I wonder if that would happen to me. So in that moment, I was like, damn, this is real. This is really happening. I'm really, really remembering the word. Because at first I had trouble remembering the words. But when I remembered the words and I started saying them and I felt it, I just... You know, I'm I'm always gonna root for the underdog. I felt like, damn, I was the underdog back then, and I'm a little bit on top. Me, me and my daughter are actually good. You know, of course she still wants that relationship with her mom, but she's better now 
But wow, I was at a very low spot then. Damn, mm. I came a long way. Like, <sighs> and I'm just thinking about myself at that time, thinking about how I got to push these words out and be that same character from then. But, you know, mm-hmm. it just was trying to, it just was a lot for me. I mean, I don't know how Robert does it. With that madman scene, you know, getting, right. to, getting into that character, is like, it always made me cry. So, you know, this made me cry, my own one. I think theater, and, and why I love theater so much beyond, like, television and film, it's a moment that you have. Um, and, and TV and film can capture that moment uh, and, and editing and, you know, camera angles. But theater forces you to be in that moment. Um, and this was de- definitely a different experience uh, in working with you all because uh, we had a, 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 a temporary, a small audience that Friday. And yep. I think you all got a taste of the nuance that was in it based on the responses. But mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, you all were, it was just us. And, 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 and you all on the actual stage of it. Um, so creating in this process felt a little different from my eye looking at you all. You also mm-hmm. created a piece, an original piece, um, that uh, spoke a lot about your personal experience as a black male, a black mm-hmm. light-skinned male. Um, was that, uh, what went into that of creating that? Or why did you decide that this was your moment to kind of tell your story in a different way? Well, the original character, Malik, shout out to him. I don't know his last name, but, you know, shout out to Malik. He wrote a piece that was beautiful, you know, for his experience. And it was Mm -hmm. about how he had a black male, light-skinned male, was integrated into an all-white school. And a white boy called him a nigga instead of the dark-skinned guy's nigga. So how he just fought and how, you know, how he became a nigga, how he's mixed with a white Mm -hmm. mom and black dad. You know, I know I'm playing a character in the in the play, but I always felt the way about hearing that because I'm not mixed. Even though I'm light-skinned, I have black mom and black dad. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to tell what, a, you know, what I really thought a light-skinned, light-skinned black man was going through um, in different words. Mm-hmm. So I did the play a couple times, and this time I had the courage to <laughs> tell Troy I was writing something new. And hopefully you like it. Um, well, went into it was just my own experiences from um, mostly black people because it's never really been from white people too much. Been from mm. black, darker skinned guys who have uh, had feelings about me being light skinned. And mm. I don't fault them for it. And it's not everybody. It's just a handful of people who in my life who said something. Or, you know. But it never was something supposed to be something negative. It's just something to learn from. That's a, hopefully it taught somebody something. That's all I wanted to do. It, it, uh, I was, um, it, it, I think a lot of people who are outside of our community and even people who are inside of our community don't understand the slight differences that we have <laughs> and how that really shapes and molds us in terms of trauma, in terms of just life experience, 
in terms of uh, how we react and relate to each other. So, and, and me reading that and me hearing you, more so hearing you because it wasn't in the script, uh, but hearing you perform that, it really, it made, um, it, it made me this question how we relate to each other. Because sometimes we don't, uh, a bad director would have said, oh, that's not important, just play this character. But in terms of somebody being able to share their unique perspective, in terms of, you know, you're not mixed, uh, mm. and it's perceived that you are because of how you look, but right. people not really, was even within your own culture, not respecting your journey and the issues that you had to deal with. And and you played it from two different perspectives. Can you talk about the perspectives that you that you played it? Okay. I played the first part of it was from I was speaking from just a plethora of experiences I've had with dark skin people. You would think there was just one person saying it, but it was different black, darker-skinned people saying things to this one light-skinned guy, telling mm -hmm. him that how he lost his girl to a light-skinned guy who thought he was better than the dark-skinned guys. A different dark-skinned guy saying how uh, he didn't get a job, basically, but I bet you, you would get the job because you light-skinned. Um, right. And just how a dark-skinned guy looked at it, uh, just an average light-skinned guy, and called him a bitch or pussy, just because he had pretty eyes, light skin, and good hair. And then finally, at the end, the light skin guy stands up and says something, not nothing mean or trying to be angry towards him, but just telling him, like, you know, I grew up and played in the same playgrounds all where you've been. You know, I've never tried to date outside my race for white girls. Like, you think, you think all the white girls like me and the black girls love me? And I love black girls, but the black girls tell me they don't even like light-skinned guys. So look at that. That's You think I'm getting them all, but they tell me they don't like, like me. And, um, you know, how I had to wrestle a dark-skinned guy basically mm -hmm. for respect. You know, even though when we both on a wrestling team, when he wanted to wrestle in the championship, he thought I was, you know, a pussy because I was light-skinned. But, you know, we're, we're two black men at the right. same strength as you. You know, so I, I think that's interesting because I remember like a, a brief conversation we had just in waiting uh, and we shared that similar experience. And mm -hmm. without us talking to each other, we would not have seen that experience uh, as as a commonality and mm -hmm. from two different perspectives. I had to fight other white guys. So mm -hmm. I'm telling you like. Man, you was just fighting somebody else. It wasn't all that. And right. hearing you then tell your story makes a lot more sense. And it's, it's the same struggle. It's just from two different perspectives, but it's very important that we share our stories. One, because many, especially Black men, we go through things and it's not an outlet for us to actually tell the story unless we got in trouble. Like, that's normally the only time we get to explain ourselves. But in so, being in a moment where we can just openly express to each other, we normally don't give each other that 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 avenue or that space to be able to do that. 
that's one of the reasons I I love a real nigga show because outside of August Wilson, there aren't really many playwrights that really allow black men to explain themselves without mm. being in trouble. Um, but I, I, I respected that and it was something that just stuck in my mind uh, because I really thought I was the only one that was experiencing it and I would not have seen it from your perspective because I'm not a light-skinned man so I wouldn't have, I've never lived that life. Uh, but how many, how much of that did you bring to, do you bring to your art in general, like those experiences? Is that, not to say you need to paint a picture of you wrestling, right. but in terms of that energy or mm. that trauma or that anger or that that struggle, how much of that is incorporated into who you are, not just as an artist, but just in who you are? I don't think, that hasn't found a place yet. In my in my mm. art, yeah. Like maybe it will sometime. Like maybe this is the seed being planted now. But like, I don't know a piece or, or a time period where I was feeling like you know that that was part of my uh of of the piece. You know what I mean? You know, you know, all the all the experiences I've been through have helped shape me to be who I am. So mm. maybe that energy is there unrecognized. And I, I say that because and not so much that I want to see it in your artwork or in your now acting, but um, I, you would think that a person who have experienced that over the course of time would be a certain type of person. Exactly. Mine, mine has turned into, well, it, it turned into like a, a internal aggression where uh, I, I just don't talk to people a lot. Because of some of the experiences that I've had, I just, you know, I find more comfort in me just stepping to the back and then every now and again talking or communicating. But somebody who has been through that, you would think Davon would be this hyper aggressive person that uh, doesn't get along with. And you're the one who breaks that tension in a room where you're coming in and you hug everybody, you speak to everybody. And you mm-hmm. appear to be always in a great mood, but that's not—that's not what we would perceive to be the person that would come from that type of struggle. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I meant by it. You know how has it manifested itself into mm-hmm. who you are and into you know your personality? Ah, okay. I, I like how you. Yeah. Well, maybe that is what it did. It, it made it like. Cause I always been that person, you know, hugging everybody, part of the part of the clique, you know, showing love when I come into a room, just showing manners, mm-hmm. just uh, being a decent human being. Right. So, you know, I never wanted to overdo it. I mean, cause you could tell when people being phony. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, it, that's that's what that's what I meant by it. It was just okay. your personality did not match up, and you you kind of talked a little bit, and we got to talk a, a little bit, but it it what I was saying wasn't what I was hearing you say. Like even you talk about it more now, you know, mm-hmm. and you writing that monologue, it did not translate into this is the person that's sitting in front of me. You wouldn't have you would have <laughs> thought, you know, and sometimes. And and my mother, who is light skinned, she mm-hmm. said this to me. 
you fall into a middle category of people who you're going to receive some treatment from mm -hmm. white people people get some from the different um uh ends of the spectrum in terms of color of uh, complexion but you're not going to really receive the brunt of it so it 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 makes sense that i don't get it or i don't mm -hmm. it's not my reaction you know i've only ever been i feel like color discriminated by white people and mm -hmm. you know physically by you know people that look like me but mm -hmm. outside of that i would not have understood it unless you shared it and I, I wish more specifically creative black men felt more comfortable sharing their experiences outside of an aggressive and and i hate using a word toxic mm -hmm. problematic way mm -hmm. I, I wish it could be so as easy as somebody writing a monologue and it, it really it really summed up your experience without blaming without tapping back into the anger or the frustration or the hurt mm. even um and it allowed us to clearly hear your story because many people liked everything else in the play was some type of extreme or mm. in your face and that was the one time where we just got a story mm. and it was this a plain outright story and it was mm. almost a break in the emotional roller coaster that we had and being in that and then that was my experience sitting backstage and watching it or off to the side and mm -hmm. and in rehearsals but people off people also when we were talking to people out in the and i don't know if people said it to you but it really it felt like to me their their reaction to it was it was a break in the emotions and wow. and, I, mm -hmm. and i valued that i re, i definitely respected that um okay. I like that because nobody said anything to me about it. It's it's awkward when it's your own people though. Yeah. Because it's we still have an awkwardness about colorism in mm. our community. And it's the same thing now against men and women and straight and gay. Like we within our community, it's hard for us to address oppression from the person that's been oppressed. It's hard because it's almost like, well, what do you say without being insensitive or right. You know, right. and we, we jokingly say things, but for me, I've learned how to get certain things out of my dialogue and with people. Okay. Mm -hmm. I used to have a horrible thing against light-skinned people because I perceived them to be something else, and mm -hmm. I experienced one or two, so I made a general statement about them. Yeah. And it really wasn't until one of my really good friends at the time had a light-skinned baby, and she was like, mm -hmm. I can't have you around my child if you really feel that way. So I had to dig deep and understand what I was feeling, why I was feeling, and how I could let it go. And I ultimately had to let it go because I didn't want to miss this young lady growing up. Uh, right. But I, I think we should be that that more that transparent, but find ways. Not mm -hmm. even us finding ways as the person going through it, but the outside audience or listener or ear or friend or whatever to open yourself up to being able to hear what other people are going through when you don't think it's that, man, that's just some light skin issue. Right, no, right, right. That's that you had to really, that was a real fight. Exactly. Let me tell you what what happened uh, when I used to do uh, the, the Real nigger show and I did my leaks experience instead of this play. What, what mm -hmm. happened was when we go out to the audience, you know, older men 
would stop me and tell me that they uh, experienced the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm. From his from his play, that's what they would say. From his, you know, monologue. his story. Yeah, his monologue. Mm-hmm. So this time around, since the show was virtual, nobody got to really say nothing to me. But what happened was I had a surge of uh, friend requests. And it was people that, that had no friend in common with me. So I'm like, where are these people coming from? And they were light-skinned people. <laughs> Right, <laughs> so I was like, so I was like, so I accepted three of them, right? From. And, I, and I asked the girl, it was a girl who DM'd me, and I said, uh, Did you watch the play? And she said, Yeah, how did you know? And I said, Just a, a guess. She said, Yeah, I really loved your piece that you did. And I was mm-hmm. like, Wow, this is basically the same thing that happens after the play when it normally happens. You know, mm-hmm. a light skinned person come up and they related to that for real. So what I said. So as long as it touched somebody, you know what I mean? You know, and like you said, it wasn't bringing up anger. It wasn't blaming nobody. It was just telling Mm -hmm. the story. You know what I'm saying? It was a healthy way of kind of letting it go and letting it out. Um, And it it really, it it made me think about, like, I have uh, my mother and her, she has a couple siblings that are, Light-skinned with light hazel eyes, and then the rest of her siblings are my complexion, and then there's a couple that are dark-skinned. And mm-hmm. I, I, the kind of the tension that is amongst them is, I, I believe, is deep-seated in their com- what they think of them complexion-wise. And it's, mm-hmm. it's things that are being said or have been said that I heard, and it's, it's really, I didn't know, I really did not know, and you would, I wouldn't know. Uh, what that was like, you know, when that wasn't, you know, they say light-skinned people are in and they out and, like, how how do you expect for people to relate to you when you say things like that about exactly. them? And it, it, it makes it, it makes it, it sounds crazy now listening to those types of things, like, mm-hmm. it, we, we, we love to subtract and add and divide our culture in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it's room for everybody. Like somebody likes your light skin, or right. Um, and what I also notice is that people just going to do it. Like I can't, mm-hmm. like I, you can't escape it. Like just right, right. So that's why at the end I said, "Jokes are jokes." I get it, but reality is also real. Because you know mm-hmm. we can joke about shit, but we need to know the reality of it though as well. Right. You know we are hurting people. You know what I'm saying? We hurting children and situations mm-hmm. and you know, lost opportunities because of what you think about something. Well, being a father, how are you explaining color to your children or have you gotten to that point yet? Uh, it, it comes up just naturally, you know, through just different conversations that maybe, I can't think of an example, but, mm-hmm. you know, I know as it, as it, as it happens, we uh, address it. You know, accordingly. You know what I mean? It's never no no argument, though. It's, you know, my my daughter is like brown skin. My son is a little browner than me. And you know, they got darker people in the family. And it just, you know, I guess naturally they'll just learn what's been happening. And I'll just help shape what they're learning. If you're watching and you have any questions. For Devin, in terms of his art, his life, Davon, I'm sorry, <laughs> I keep going at Davon. Uh, if you have any questions for him, please 
uh, please share them with us and we'll be here to answer your questions. Uh, as we are finishing up this interview, I want to uh, thank you one for coming on, but uh, express that I, I, I saw you, I saw your work, I saw your process, and I know stage is not easy, especially mm -hmm. when identity is not, I, I won't put a struggle on you or as artists, but I know as black men, we're, we're going through things right now that we may not be comfortable expressing, that we may not be, uh, have the vocabulary or the words to put on it right now, because it just feels, in my opinion, it just feels like we're under attack. And sometimes that attack is coming from within ourselves, from within our communities, our homes, our families, our neighborhoods. And it's it's hard to really find ourselves in life anymore. And mm -hmm. yourself, this will be a moment where you second guess what you even thought you knew about yourself. And that's my perspective. I'm not saying that's what everybody is feeling, all black men are feeling, but if you had to speak to uh, what's going on right now in terms of your perspective, how do you see the world in this moment for black men and just for us as black people in general? See, uh, the shift happening, like, you know, of course it's going to be hard when it's turning. It's like when the summer turned into the winter, it's like, mm. man, can't make his mind up and it's just sputtering, you know, storms and, you know, different hot days, cold days, and it's like, what's, it won't make his mind up. I think we're in that transition that we've been waiting so long for. You know what I'm saying? It's just, we in the oh, the brunt of it. You know, the, right. the riots, just all the things happening. But, you know, a lot of, every time something happens, it's just a bigger deal than it ever was. Which right. we, right. we, I don't want shit to happen for it to be a big deal, but sometimes martyrs are necessary. And sometimes, you know, it's necessary for when sh for shit to explode to be recreated. So for black men, I think we're in a good position, especially with like everything that we see has it plastered on it. You know, different commercials. You know, the NBA, the NFL. You know, it's all in your face, or mm -hmm. so the change is happening. But I also still do believe the revolution won't be televised. So yeah. st stuff is still televised and shit is still, you know, just putting a Band-Aid on things. But that's yeah. the start of the change. In, in terms of your contribution, how do you think you can help in moving us forward? By, you know, everybody can help just by being the best individual they can be. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So the best thing I could do is just love my children, love my neighbor, love my friends, and, um, you know, not not just be a, a, a pushover, you know, hold people accountable for what, you know, their right and wrong things and just uh, move about it being strong, you know what I mean? Like standing up for what's right <sighs> and also doing uh, what I love to do from the heart, you know, with purpose. You know, that small, that small thing that each individual do will make a greater change amongst the masses of it. Any any projects that you have coming up or shows we can support you in? Yeah, I don't know exactly when 
But, you know, when the year started, we was going to do a show in August. And August is already passed now. Mm-hmm. But since the world is seems to be opening back up or there's restrictions, we can do an art show even with face masks. So that's what I'm planning now. All this new art is going to be released to the world to see. You know, because I don't post a lot of art. You know, even my website doesn't have uh, DavonCurry.com. doesn't have art on it for sale right now. I just have my shirt. But I am doing an art show. And it probably won't be this year. But you will know about it, Nick. And you will tell your people about it. And <laughs> and they all going to be there. I got you, I got you. It's, I, I, I'm loving how artists are. Uh, I think this this pandemic has forced a lot of us to come out of our shell and how we create and be more creative in how we express ourselves and how we focus and how we um, just deliver our art to people. It's forcing us to be more open and more open-minded and and it's I think it's forcing us to be uncomfortable, but I think within that uncomfort, uh, that discomfort, we are learning how to to move better. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, especially within the visual artist field, I'm seeing a lot of innovation in terms of how you do things. I just uh, went to go see an outside art show. That's not a new thing, but it's, it was refreshing to see someone stepping out there and jumping out there and just in a parking lot, set up some walls, and put some artwork up. Um, and we gotta get creative, creative, stay safe, but be creative in how we display our work and how we choose to, even with the, the real nigga show, that's not the normal theater process. So to push forward, it really was amazing to see it be finished. Um, my last two questions for you, uh, one being, what advice would you give to your 17 year old self and what question would you ask to your 100 years? What advice? The advice I give to my 17-year-old self is you're not getting old. You're young as shit, bro. You have so much more time to learn. You're going to learn so much. And uh, stop stressing yourself out. Yo. You got another life to live. I done lived another 17 years. Probably after that 17 years. Am I that old? No, not yet. But all right. Um, <laughs> almost, almost. Right. <laughs> the 100 years, so what question would I ask him? Hmm. Like right now, what I ask him 100 years, so I would say, have you seen any change to what you thought was changing? in 2020, like the change we were just talking about for black men and black people, like has anything really changed? Like, or did it just go back to bullshit? I believe by the time I'm a hundred, the whole world probably gonna be black. So. That's the plan, that's the plan. Right, the whole world gonna be black by then, so. Hopefully and we just my, my last question to you is what what has been your biggest lesson as a black man and as a you know sharing the the information how do you or what advice would you give or inspiration rather 
would you give to other black men that may be going through that same trial or struggle in the moment? Um, just keep your head up. It sounds real cliche, but you know, after every dark night, it's a brighter day, man. Like, mm-hmm. God, we gotta just we gotta meditate. Just come become one with knowing that it's gonna be all right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just simple meditation can go a long way. Simple just breathing. Not needing to smoke weed every chance you get because you're down. You know what I'm saying? Or have a drink. Or find a woman. Or man. Or whatever the case is. Just just need to just find some peace within ourselves. Mm. So, so I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Can you uh, give out all your social media so people know where to find you. Davon Carey on everything. D-A-V-O-N C-A-R-E-Y on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Tumblr. My website is DavonCarey.com. Everything oh, somebody is Somebody said OnlyFans? <laughs> yeah, my OnlyFans is actually uh, if you want to DM me, I'll give you that too. <laughs> That's not no. Davon Carey, but... Oh, somebody just wrote that in the comment section. I don't know. For real? How come I, I want to see the comments. What is it? <laughs> you, can, you can see the ones on the side screen, but you got to go to chat and click on it. Okay. Maybe oh, somebody on Facebook. Somebody might recognize you. You never know. I, I don't know. I don't know. But we don't mm. need no blasting out here. <laughs> but I, I i do think and i i'm always in a space of how can i work with artists and figuring out if i could be of any assistance in terms of helping you and supporting you as an artist or we can find a way to create together and i'm that's where i'm always at so the artist exchange is for all artists for you to be able to find you know collaborations and um support and helping you i know support is a big thing for us especially coming in a city like this uh, where a lot of us struggle with lack of support. Uh, but just know you always have a space to come and promote your work and share your story. And, you know, I'm always here to help you uh, in anything that you may need help with. I appreciate that, Nate, so much. It was a pleasure. Anytime, anytime, sir. So be safe. And he said, hit him up in his DM for his only fan page. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know who to ask that question. (laughs) For sure. All right, man. Peace out. Take care. And I'm I'm going to hit you up because I want to see some more of your artwork. But take care, man. Be safe. You too. too. Thank you. Anytime. So this has been the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Um, If you want to be a guest, if you want to, you know, advertise your business or sponsor the show, please hit us up. You can hit me up at the artist exchange radio show at gmail.com. And uh, I'll get back to you. I'm really responsive these days because everything is computer and I'm right here. Uh, Outside of that, we have a competition. I have a competition coming up for um, music, for theater, acting, and what was the other one? I think it's design. So the, the design field, music, and uh, theater 
specifically acting. Uh, and there's a cash prize, and we're going to put the information out there um, in terms of what the what the qualifications are and what the amount. Um, there's only one winner for each category, um, and we'll be doing that throughout the month of October. So you can be preparing for that right now. Um, also, today, and I'll look on my phone. I've been doing, I, yesterday I started like a fast, it was my last day, on social media for the next week. And, you know, I know that's blase, everybody say that, but I, but I really, um, I just needed a moment. It was a lot, and there's a lot of negativity in the form of judgment and criticism that I see. Um, there's a lot of uh, Trump talk. I've been reading a lot up on these new restrictions that are coming for Facebook. Um, and it's, it's weird, it's wild, and we really have to um, reprogram ourselves. I know a lot of us have been social media um like addicts but there there's gonna have to be a moment of reprogramming because these people have been getting away with not only selling our identities but our habits to other companies um and i'm, I'm not this big conspiracy theory it, the information has been put out there there's a whole documentary um on netflix right now uh from many of many social media employees and these are not just entry-level employees these have been people who are in charge of say the like button on facebook and so on and so forth and we really have to reprogram ourselves to not need social media because our in my in my opinion many of our uh, freedoms are being taken away from us like freedom of speech uh but when you're you know and i, I don't know if that's illegal or not because Facebook is a legally uh, open company, um, a public company, I mean, and I don't know if you can oh, excuse me. restrict speech um, outside of hate speech, uh, but it really is, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring some stuff out. I'm just, I'm just noticing a lot of information that's being shared um, and if I click on something a couple days later, I get a phone call from a telemarketer and it's weird, but, um, it's, it's not anything that I have not seen or known, but it's just during this quarantine it has been happening more and more and more and it's nerve wracking. And, you know, I don't want to tie everything back to Trump because we can't blame everything on him. Uh, but it's just weird. Um, so uh one of the oh, things Jesus, that i, I decided... say that hello <laughs> oh my mic was sorry uh one of the things that i wanted to no, i was um... just laughing because you said um you can't blame everything on him and, I, and the sound somebody played the sound effect jesus ain't say that <laughs> and not him. and speaking of jesus um i am doing a seven day believe challenge and it's really non-denominational. So whoever you pray for, whatever you believe in, and however you pray or meditate or hum or hit bells or light candles, whatever you choose to do in your spiritual process or lack thereof, um, this seven-day challenge, it's just, it's like a mental cleanse almost. Um, and for the next seven days, uh, well, the first thing you do is you write a list of goals. Um, dreams and needs 
all in, you don't have to separate them in those categories, but just write a list and it, it could be as long as you want it. You need to meditate or pray over those intentions, those needs, those desires, those goals. Um, every day do this at least once a day. So you need to physically write out of list and you need to pray over those things. And part of that prayer should be speaking them to, into existence. Um, and every day, every single day for seven days, you need to do something in, lieu, in, in, in a direction of those needs, wants, goals, and desires. If it's researching it, if it's setting it up as a business, if whatever it may be, do one thing. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but one thing. Uh, and lastly, journal each day, preferably at, at the nighttime after you've experienced it, because it, like a fast, uh, this challenge will be difficult because you are physically having to do something uh, in three different ways every single day. And like a fast, it can be really, it can be a lot. So journal that experience, what it felt like. Was it easy? Was it hard? What did you actually do? towards those goals and dreams. Um, and this was inspired by a sermon that I listened to yesterday with Latonya Valencia Moss. You can go to her page, Latonya Valencia Moss. It's on my Artist Exchange Radio Show page. And the link to the actual sermon is there. And her uh, link to her page is there. So you can follow her sermon. She does a church from home every Sunday now. And, and watching that, she spoke about um, a seven-day Believe Challenge. And it's just to strengthen your faith uh, and show you how um, prayer without work is useless. And it, it's really programming your mind to just work towards your goals, your dreams, and the things that you say you want. This has been another edition of the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Again, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you want to contribute to the show, donate, support, sponsor, advertise. Hit me up at the artist exchange radio show at gmail.com. And I know that was all mumbled because of this list that I'm temporarily having right now, but definitely reach out. I'll reach back. Don't forget the artist exchange radio show every Monday and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Peace out. <laughs> So it is it is the fact that, you know, you are to reflect on the fact that this person, where did they show me signs that I could not trust them with? My